I feel like I've been preparing my whole life for this moment. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. We're live now, Mike. <laughs> so you have to at least look somewhat interested uh, in what we're talking about. I'm just reading a text because there's a, a car parked in our church parking lot and a neighbor is just sharing me what she witnessed last night. But anyway, so. Oh, so you get, so you have to be an, an investigator right now. Well, no, it, kind of, but the okay. lady that owns it is having it towed away today. And so I was just letting the neighbor know. Oh, okay. Do you guys have a good relationship with your neighbor? Yes. Yeah. Pretty good. That's good. No. No. That's good. Not all churches have that benefit. No, no. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So, so we got yeah. back. We, so the last few uh, few weeks, we've gone back to, since we've like dropped Patreon and all that. We've gone back to creating fun names for <laughs> for the podcast. And it's funny because you created yours. You got in. This is a rarity. You got into like the, the green room before I did. Yeah. And and we both we both chose names that deal with beards. I like it. It's true. <laughs> Great minds. So, uh, somebody commented the other day, they said that, uh, to me, and I don't know if it was on this or, or like one of my church Bible studies that we do during the week, they said, wow, Eric, your beard's getting so big. Like you have to choose on whether or not to have your, your face or your beard, uh, show up. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, man, maybe I got to like put my laptop further away so everybody right. can see all of me. I, I That's don't know. True. It's, it's, it's a lot to take in the whole thing. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a thing. It was a thing for sure. So, so aside from having to play investigator Alex, mm. um, what's what's new? Anything new with you? Uh, we had a good weekend uh, Sunday morning. You know, with Easter Resurrection Sunday, uh, it was mm. good. Um, and I just got off a, a wonderful lunch with a local pastor in the area of a church, and just that was very encouraging and uplifting it's good to have good relationships with other pastors from other churches in the area for sure um and so have good friends because as i was sharing with him i'm like you know we don't know what the church is going to look like my church or any other church in the next few years but if certain things progress as they have been progressing um uh, we have a, a strong evangelical church. The pastors have strong relationships. And so I'm like, I said, I'm comforted to know that outside of denominational phone calls that I do know that if anything happens, I know who I can call and get some sort of support, even in the local area. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's always helpful. It sounds like you're trying to throw some bad news on a, on a Tuesday. <laughs> Try to say no matter what happens with our denomination. Why do you get the inside track on something? No, I'm in our church. Uh-oh. Our church. You heard it here first. Why is your why? What's going on with your church? No, I'm 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 a perpetual pessimist. I'm Eeyore, and so like I look at things like the Equality Act and what what will that mean for mm-hmm. our our church? And uh, you know, reading articles how membership has uh, uh, church membership has declined drastically over the last year and and everything, and so. Uh, and we're feeling the effects of that in many ways. And so it just makes me think, all right, we start planning contingencies or what would I do if this happened type mm-hmm. of thing. But yeah, J- Josh, uh, Josh says, that's what it sounded like to me. I'm assuming that, so I don't know if everyone knows there's usually like a probably 10 second delay from <laughs> what Mike and I are saying and what the comments might be or how it shows up on Facebook. So uh, I'm curious if he thinks that my assumption or how I heard it is the same way that he heard it. Yeah. 
So it was probably because everyone thinks like you. It was probably more in line with you. <laughs> I, I wish everybody <laughs> life would be so much easier. Um, <laughs> but, okay. but anyway, so it, it's been a it's been a good start to the week because I usually take Mondays off, and so today's my first day back into the office, and so it started out okay. Yeah, man. Well, how was your how was your Monday, man? Because I'm curious. Like we were talking a little bit last night um, in our group chat with Luke, and finally, for those who don't know. Uh, you know, Luke and his lovely wife, Lindsay, have had this like Facebook group for people who want to pray for them and, and their daughter who was just born, who's had some complications. Uh, just a group for prayer and giving updates that people aren't like bugging them because it can be very overwhelming as you go through. Like like when my mom passed away, I hardly told anybody right away because I just didn't want to get inundated with questions and or, or all that stuff. Right. So it can be exhausting. So they had this uh, Facebook group, which Mike was not included in. And I've been giving Mike a hard time about it for about a month. And I finally mentioned it in the group chat. And what'd you say this morning you were at it, right? Yeah. I woke up this yeah. morning or no, it was last night. It was shortly after that I popped on Facebook and I was in it and it was and enjoyed seeing the, the updates new and old. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, 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 no matter what, how he feels about me, I appreciate Luke and his family. Yeah, he does kind of hate you. I don't understand why. There's only, <laughs> there's only three people that I know do not like me, and uh, he's one of the three. Wow. Who are the other two? I'm not going to talk about that. Okay. So how are you feeling? I mean, did you have – because everybody talks about pastors having like a post-Sunday hangover mm-hmm. um, where like you preach – and, Sunday, and Monday is usually the worst day of the week for pastors. Um, yeah. So what's it like, especially on Easter? Because Easter is probably the biggest day of the year. I think it's even bigger than, than celebrating Christmas because we're actually accurate to the time in which we celebrate it. Right. <laughs> Shut up, my family. Um, but anyway. Um, <laughs> um, honestly, it's only occasionally it does a Sunday ruin my Monday. I'm usually able to function pretty well because to be honest, the hangover hits me almost immediately when I sit down. And so Mm -hmm. I get over the hangover like Sunday afternoon. Mm -hmm. Um, It's if the day drags into the afternoon that my Mondays can be a little sketchy. Um, Mm -hmm. But like I was able to come home, not come home, but I went to, um, some family and had like your normal Easter celebration with family afterwards and, and was able to decompress and enjoy just some low key time. And mm-hmm. so my Monday was pretty well, pretty good. Um, yeah. Considering, but uh, yeah, nope. And, and some of it helped that our boys were at pagan school. Two of our boys were at pagan <laughs> school. Um, and, uh, and so we only had one. And so we, we're able to get some errands done. I was able to play video games, which I only usually get to do once a day, once a week when the boys aren't home. And, and yeah, it was good. It was a good day. That's good. What video games do you play right now? I'm, I'm trying to accomplish all the extra things in Lego Marvel superheroes on the switch. Okay. Nice. Nice. It's a lot more complicated than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I, um... I'm, I'm feeling a little bit bad about my gaming abilities. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, since I started back in seminary, man, I've just not had the time. I think I've played maybe for like three or four hours over the course of the last two or three months because I just mm-hmm. haven't had the time. And like for me, I like playing um, like NHL games and I like yep. playing the the uh, what do you call it? Like the manager, like your the what do you the call season, franchise mode, the franchise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. so and I like to play twenty or thirty seasons at a time, and I'll play like maybe one or two games a season. So I'm doing a lot. Most of my time is like spent building the team, you know, creating all this other stuff. And there's a lot to it. Like I love, and it's the analyst in me. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy. Yeah. But if I do that, man, like I'm committed to that game for weeks, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I'm building up on something. So I just don't have the time when I have other things going on in life. So yep. exactly. I, I hear yeah. you. Yeah. Hear you. Uh, well, that's good, man. I'm glad it wasn't too bad because I, dude, I was feeling awful yesterday. And I don't oh. know if it was like physical exhaustion or emotional exhaustion or, or spiritual exhaustion, whatever it might be. But um, I'm trying to I just. You. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. But it was just, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just a conflation of, or, or all these things building up, but yes, it was a tough day, but, uh, today, oof, so much better, so mm-hmm. much more gooder. So yeah, good. man. Well, I'm, I'm glad. So you're, you're feeling better today. That's good. I'm glad. I, well, I ended up taking like a three hour nap. Like I went home cause mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize a lot of people take East like Easter Monday off. So I didn't know that was a thing, but I thought, oh, wait, am I supposed to take today off? I wasn't quite sure. And then I'm not preaching this this week. So Matt's preaching for me. And and I thought, well, this can give me some time to catch up on some other things I've that I have neglected, like just office things and other church stuff. And then um, and I was like, you know what, though, I can hardly concentrate on any on anything. So I got home and just tried to like do a little bit of reading and then like fell asleep for three hours and then went to bed earlier than normal and then still slept through the night. So I must've been just physically exhausted. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Yeah. So. Cool, man. Yeah. Well, today we're going to talk about Bible study, man. Mm. Um, and we've talked about it maybe once or twice on this show previously. And, and I think we've done some good things. Uh, I think we've probably missed some stuff as well. So I, I think we can't ever talk too much about it. Like it, it's so important. Excuse me. And I think, I think the three of us were talking last night. I think it was in that conversation that we're talking about like good resources that people can use. And I think Mm -hmm. I said, man, I love giving people good resources as far as like recommendations. I just wish they would use it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And do you think that's true? Like do, do people use good resources or what do you think? I think if they, (laughs) well, I shared with you kind of my, my thoughts on that were a bit more obviously on the pessimistic side, but if people, if people were to actually sit down and take time to really study a passage of scripture, I think they would, but I think Mm -hmm. a lot of times we're, we're very busy to actually sit down. I mean, and parse through a a small section of scripture Mm-hmm. Um, that the, the, they kind of think, say a thank you, maybe someday I'll use this mm-hmm. when I find the time. And so I don't mm-hmm. know that, I don't think people just are, thank you, I'm never going to use this, but I think they appreciate it. I mean, a, a couple months ago, one of our elders led a, uh, 
a Sunday school, a few weeks of Sunday school on how to study the Bible and had resources. And one person did take advantage of some of the resources because they're really into it. Um, mm-hmm. and, but most people appreciated it, um, but aren't necessarily going to run out and buy all the resources or even borrow them. Uh, well, I think, I mean, it, to have a good layperson library, like, I mean, like, if you are not a pastor and you're just in, um, uh, an everyday layperson in the pew, I mean, how much money do you think you'd have to spend on having a decent uh, library of resources that could help you in your average everyday Bible study? I think you could, and again, not not dropping this all at once. Uh, all on uh, one dime, but over the course of a series, I think you could probably do it for a couple hundred. I think, I think for sure. I think you could even do it for less than a hundred bucks. Like if you're looking at single volume commentaries. um, So like I'm looking on my shelf, I'm actually about to give it to somebody because I have it on digits. Uh, The new Bible commentary, which DA Carson is a journal editor. Yep. I'm looking at it too, right there. It is uh, to me, it's the best single volume commentary out there of the whole Bible. And what we're talking about in single volume is it's, it's it's one volume and it has just a little blurb. It's almost like a study Bible, but Mm -hmm. without the Bible in it. Right. So it's, so it's like all the Bible study notes that you would want in a study Bible, but with a little bit more depth. So I would, I would say it's like, it's souped up. It's souped up. Um, Yep. Yep. And, and, Um, um, Another book that I've found helpful is, and and it's actually two books now, um, is uh, Fee and Stewart's How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Yeah. And and then they did a follow-up to it, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, book by book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost like a one-volume commentary, but more in the lines of be looking for this, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but uh yeah, no, a single volume commentary, maybe uh, a couple background, t- like an Old yes. Testament backgrounds and old, New yes. Testament backgrounds. And um, that will typically, I mean, you can find some that are like a, a single volume Old Testament, single volume New Testament, and it will help you key into the things that you didn't help you ask the questions that you didn't even know you needed to ask. Mm-hmm. I think. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um. But I think I think if you want to get in even more depth, right? So there are some easier things. So there are some free stuff online, right? So you can go to, um, oh man, I forget a couple of the sites. If Luke was here, he would tell you because he doesn't pay for anything. He just like he wants to use all the free resources. I know that, and I commend him for that. Um, but I forget the different websites that he uses. But there's some free commentaries out there, some free background stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, stay off Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia is not great. And, and check the sources. Like what, what stream are these things being written in? So some of them could be written in more liberal, uh, streams where they don't consider the Bible to be inerrant or infallible. Um, they do think that there's error in, in the Bible. So you need to know like what the background is as far as those who are, who are writing it. Um, precept mm-hmm. Austin is fantastic, which is what Nathaniel says. I have no idea what that is. Do you? Yeah, um, it's it's basically a whole ministry revolving around. Uh, um, I believe it's inductive Bible study, going through a, a passage of scripture and letting it, it drawing out the meaning from the text. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was started by Kay Arthur and her husband. Well, I know her. Yeah, I've heard of Kay Arthur's inductive. I'm Bible pretty study, sure that's their ministry. Things. 
yeah, yeah. and no it's it's solid precept austin I, i'm i'm assuming that's I, i've always known it by precept not austin but i'm assuming yeah precept, upon precept i think is what like yeah. the term that i've heard so there's good stuff out there man and i here's um i'm actually going through hermeneutics class right now um as i'm completing my master's and the one of the authors of one of the textbooks um said said that the purpose of hermeneutics and the purpose of Bible study uh, isn't to uh, isn't to define the meaning of the text. It's to discover the meaning of the text, which is huge, right? So how often, Mike, do we sit down in a Bible study and and like whether as a pastor or back when you were a layperson and and whoever's leading it says, well, hey, what does this verse what is this word what does this passage mean to you hmm. and and they use that as an example of like this is rampant like this happens in 90 percent of bible studies and this is the exact opposite thing that you want to happen <laughs> so um so do you mind like for you as you've maybe have heard this question how do we get away from that how do we get away from what does this mean to me uh yell at people and tell them to stop it yeah, that's uh, that's the Bob Newhart method, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Stop yeah. it, or I'm gonna bury you alive <laughs> in a box. Um, uh, yeah. Which, by the way, I just did a quick Google search. Nathaniel was talking about something different, but what he's talking about is a very helpful website. But I okay. still stand by that precept by K. Arthur is is a good resource as well. But it's not the same thing. But anyway. Mm -hmm. um, how do you stop that? Honestly, you know, number one, by calling it out, like when you yourself are teaching, you mm -hmm. say, we're going to say, we're going to look at this and say, what does this say? Period. Or mm -hmm. question mark. Not what does this say to me? Or what does this mean to you? We're going to stop with just a, what does this mean? Question. Go for it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, cause I was actually in uh, one of my small groups, we were talking about uh, the, the uncomfortable passage of first Peter two and submit to government, you know, authorities, um, you know, honor the emperor and our immediate tendency, especially as on the go consumer Christian Americans is to, you know, jump into the immediate application of, well, what about this? Mm -hmm. What about that? And that kind of gets back to the question of what is this? Well, how does this apply to me? What does this even mean to me, for me or to me? Um, well, the reality is, well, we can't answer that question until we even know what it means and what it's saying in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and I think so in your preaching, in your teaching, in your reading, in your writing and all that, for give people the questions they should be asking. I remember being in seminary and I was in systematic theology two. I think it was my second one and it was with Dr. Richard Lentz. And uh, he said, sometimes when you're talking to people, you're going to have to, in a polite way, realize that um, people are asking the wrong questions. And so you're going to have to, in answering their question, answer the, the question they should be asking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And so without like, coming out and saying, that's a dumb question, this is what you should be asking. You start answering their question, but you know, guide it to a answer the question they should be asking or the, or the better mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. So, 
Thank you, Brenda, for your comment. Brenda's a dear saint of uh, of of my church, and she she mentions that she loves the K Arthur precept studies. They are really good. They are really good. And and the one thing that I like about those, I haven't done them in depth, but I know people that have and I've read about it, is that you're putting practical, like you're practicing what you're being taught, right? But you're being taught how to study the Bible and putting that into practice. So, um. But you're right. Like oftentimes um, I just finished a book called um, reading, misreading. I think it's misreading the Bible or misreading the scriptures in Western eyes. Uh, And it's a phenomenal book. I commend it to anyone, um, especially if you don't mind getting your toes stomped on, because you will realize your own cultural like pre-understanding and presuppositions that you bring to the text that the text isn't speaking to. So, so you bring a certain set of cultural principles that are foreign to the text. And you're thinking that those same things apply to the original audience when they don't. Hmm. So they use it, they use examples of, of race, um, sociopolitical and economic backgrounds, um, geographic backgrounds and all kinds of stuff. And, and one example is they said, you know, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of cultural virtues that we have as Americans that we think are biblical and aren't. Mm. Um, and, and we have to understand like they're not biblical so we can read that into the text and make applications based on our own cultural principles and reading them into the text. So the important thing for us is to discover the meaning and only through the Holy spirit, can we apprehend that meaning and then discover what that theological principle is that the text is conveying and then bring it forward. So we have to, so we have to like discover what the meaning is to the original audience written by the original author. And then only then can we begin constructing a kind of bridge to the modern reader and that bridge is going to look different today than it did 500 years ago or a thousand years ago. Well, yeah. Uh, Reverend John Stott wrote a book basically about that called between two worlds. And you mm. know, the, the famous quote from that is you need to have the Bible in one hand and the paper in the new and the newspaper in the other, or mm. let's just say, you know, online news media or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the, that's the goal of the, of the preacher is to understand the, what the passage means in its context, both biblical, like both written on the page context and the people that it was written to, mm-hmm. and then br- bridging that gap to what's going on today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So what are some, um, so we talked a little bit about like when we have small group studies, what can, what can we do? Uh, how, how about this, Mike? You're the you're the perpetual pessimist, mm. and uh, I think I think I, I try I try to think of myself as a realist. What percentage of people do you think not just read the Bible, but study the Bible as Christians? Like we'll say our circles in particular, daily, daily. daily. Oh, study daily. Okay, because I would say mm-hmm. you probably got, I'd probably put it at 50 to maybe 60% are reading the Bible daily in some way. But then to like study it, mm-hmm. like really get in and, and study the Bible, uh, I think you're looking at 5%. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I wonder. I think you might be right. I, I wonder if, like, for sometimes, and we talked a little bit about this last night in our group chat, was like, I I personally, when I'm doing my bot, when I'm studying by myself, I sometimes take the shortcut, man. Like I don't do the hard work and I compared it last night to like an algebraic equation. Uh, and I hate algebra, but I love studying the Bible, but sometimes there's so much work that goes into studying the Bible. Um, you skip steps or you assume steps. And, and instead of getting to the, like, Oh, I I'm at a familiar passage. So I understand the culture and the context here. I don't necessarily need to rediscover that again before starting my interpretation, but I think you can't ever learn too much about the culture in which the Bible was written in whatever, whatever portion of scripture. So I think that sometimes we can skip the, what does this mean to them and go straight to, well, what does it mean here in the 21st century? Or at least I do personally at times. So I think, I think even when we're studying the Bible, we can take shortcuts and I kind of want to get back to like a fundament, back to the fundamentals of where we are doing the hard work and reaping the rewards because it's all that hard work in between where we, I think a lot of the spiritual fruit comes from. Mm -hmm. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's it for today, guys. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Well, we're actually going to start in a couple of weeks. Um, so we tentatively have a guest on next week, which I'm pretty excited about. I reached out to him again last night just to make sure he's still on, on tap for, for next week. Uh, but uh, in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to start working through the book of Philippians here on Bible and banter. So we're going to pull up on the screen. Like, let me see if I can pull it up now and show people kind of what we're going to be doing. Um, share screen. Oh, I got to open system preferences. Um, so uh, Mike, I got to figure this out. Uh, No, who uh, you're not going to give the name of the guest for next week? Uh, Paul Maxwell. Okay. So it should be Paul Max. So Paul Maxwell, who um, graduated a year or two, finishes dissertation or thesis, whatever it is. Um, I can't ever tell the difference. I just use the terms interchangeably. But from from TEDS, from Trinity Evangelical Divinity Seminary, studying under possibly you know one of the top theologians today in Kevin Van Hooser. So. Um, yeah, so we're going to have him on to talk about theology for the layperson, like the importance of it, but also talking about trauma and doctrine, which is the name of his book that was recently published and it's stupid expensive because it's an academic work. Um, but, and I, and I've started reading that work and it's really good and talks about how we can often apply theological principles in very traumatic, um, instances or, or situations where, uh, it's not always the most prudent thing to do in that moment and how it can exacerbate uh, pain and, and the trauma uh, endured there. So uh, so we're going to have him on, but we're going to start working through Philippians after that. And we're going to do kind of like an alternating thing. We're doing like a topical, you know, just kind of, hey, what we have been doing, um, cultural and different di cultural topics and, and whatnot. And then on the opposite week, we will study Philippians and work through verse by verse and, and study it with people. So I think that could be really helpful, or at least I hope it will be. What do you think, Mike? Mm -hmm. No, I think that'll be absolutely uh, helpful. 
Um, because I think that's one of the, that applies to even our study of scripture. Um, you know, number one, people don't, we don't, we always make time for what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think under the surface at times, we often don't do the things that we should do because we don't know how or think we don't have the ability. Um, mm-hmm. And so talking about not just Bible study, uh, but also theology, how does the lay person, you know, because we're, you know, we always hear the, oh, you're too heady for me, or that's too, you know, this, that, or the other thing. And people sell themselves short in a lot of ways uh, as to what they can comprehend or, or even learn. So I think having a, a guy who wrote his, his uh, dissertation, doctorate, thesis, uh, smart what guy, smart guy stuff um, would be super <laughs> helpful Um you know, I just, I think that's good. Yeah. Uh, Have you figured it out yet? I'm working on it. Keep going. <laughs> well, basically what you, I'm assuming you're trying to get the workflow to show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So basically what Eric is doing right now, everyone, is he's trying to share his screen to a workflow that he produced through a very helpful resource called Logos. Um, and so last night, Eric asked me what if I have ever used Logos, and I don't currently. I have it, but I don't because I think I'm using it wrong, and it tends to be a bit slow and clunky. And so I use this now. It's no longer supported, but this program that I bought while I was in seminary called BibleWorks, which is where I do some of my translation work and, and different things. Uh, but so this is this is Logos, and I'll kick it over to to. Eric, and this is uh, not necessarily a preview of Logos, but just a, a workflow that you created in studying the scriptures. Yeah, so I created, I was telling you before we came on air, I created a, a workflow um, on Logos based on just, you know, just the studies that I've done on on the best way, at least what's worked for me and I think is helpful um, on, on how to glean and discover the meaning of, of texts. So this is a a workflow that I created through Logos and Logos, for those of you who don't know, is a very, um, it it is pricey. Um, I think the cheapest version, I actually was just on their website. I think you can actually get one version for free. So there might be a free option out there, but what it does is it's a huge library. I have thousands of resources that I've purchased throughout the years that you can use Bible commentaries, dictionaries, um, all kinds of stuff, right? And and it brings it all together so that when you do a search on a passage, everything pops up there. And this workflow in particular walks through what I think is an important method or, or the method that I like to use in studying the Bible. So you can see here as I'm pointing, um, I'm assuming that shows up on everybody's screen and, and just simply prayer. Like that's the first step is, is you can't... Um, Uh, Something that I think I've learned over the years is that you can be an atheist. Like you don't have to be a Christian um, to study the Bible. I actually, I view the study of scripture, not only as a spiritual practice, but also a science. It's a science as well. Um, Historically, theologians and scholars have looked at Bible study as a science and, and no one is more prominent in discussing those things than, than the Dutch theologians in Bavink and, and Kuiper, where you can, you can use methodologies in understanding what the scripture means. However, 
without prayer and without the work of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be you're not going to be able to apprehend the truths. Meaning, you're not going to be able to grasp and apply the truths that are found in Scripture without the work of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Mike, he, Mike, you get a you, you get a um a, a more robust degree than I do, so you can push back anytime you want. Sure. Um, the only thing I'm going to push <laughs> back right now on is how massive your cursor arrow is on your screen. That thing is, that is is huge. It doesn't look so big on my screen, but oh well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next part is is reading the text. So I, Mike, how often do you read the text if you're studying the Bible? <laughs> Every time? No, I mean, how many times in a row, man? Like, do you read it like twelve times, five times, a hundred times? Probably two to three. Okay. Not so in the I, same sitting, though. Oftentimes, I'll read it when I'm kind of like my my process is I'll come into the office on and I I preach through a book of the Bible. So I'm mm-hmm. not trying to think of a topic every week to, or mm-hmm. like a topic. And then what am I going to say about this topic each week? So mm-hmm. we're going through John. So I'll be like, all right, last week I preached on John 12, blah, blah, blah. So now we're moving on to John 12, blah, blah. And I'll read it and make sure that I'm condensing to the section that I think is right to the pericope, they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I'll read it then and get an idea of, all right, this is where I think we're going. And then I'll throw a, a sermon title on it because people need titles for bulletins and stuff. I hate sermon titles um, <laughs> because it's usually wrong by the time I'm done with the sermon. But anyway, um, and then when I come to really sit down and start to marinate <laughs> on it Thursday afternoon, Friday morning, um, I'm, I read it a couple times again as I'm as I'm starting to get into the to the work of it. So, and you're talking about sermon prep, right? Yeah, and yeah, and that's what I would generally do. Okay. That's my sermon prep. That's the most of what I do for study, but it's a similar process when I'm doing like a, a study of the Bible, either for personal or for mm-hmm. uh, like a small group or Bible study. So this, so this is an area that's usually pretty different for me when it comes to um, a sermon, sermon prep versus um, a Bible study. So I guess like in sermon prep, you're talking about you know you're going to have to like you're going to have to make it into a homily, right? So you're going to have to present it in a, in a way that is equal parts um, uh, um, professional, biblical, faithful to the text, but also interesting, right? So, so that means a lot of the things like that we're going to look at here in a moment, people are going to go, Oh, this is boring. I don't, you know, they're not really going to need to or want to hear. Or if you if you brought everything you've discovered in a text in a sermon, it would be hours long. Um, so none of us. I mean, I don't think anybody really uh, wants to spend hours, hours sitting there in the pew. But um, so I typically, when I'm preaching, read something probably a dozen plus, maybe a couple dozen times, depending on the length of the text and how familiar I am with the text. And when it comes to Bible study. I'm usually about two or three times. I'm with you. Like, I feel you on that. Like, I'll read it two or three times, again, depending on length and how familiar I am with the passage. Um, Because it's not the only Bible reading I do in a Bible study. So you come here, you read the text. And, like, the cool thing about the workflow is just press, like, continue, brings you to the next part. Um, And then 
what I've done in this workflow is, is these are all questions that, that if you're at home and you're watching this, I'd encourage you to write these down if you're not already asking these questions. But essentially, when you come to making observations of the text, what you're looking for is to discover different um, phraseologies, turns of phrase, repeated words. You're looking for objects, people's places, things, actions. Um, are, is the author making a comparison or a contrast? Are they making a list of things? And you want to include this like in your notes, like as you're jotting this down and maybe like you have a Bible that you like to take notes in, circle things, whatever that might be, but you want to put down like, Hey, here's, here's some important parts of this text that I need to know more about. Right. Um, so I just, so the cool thing about these workflows is you can like go in here and type whatever you wanted, right? So, like in Mark, did you, did you Mark, just type in tongues? Yeah, I did. Um, wow, <laughs> I did. Wow. So, that's amazing. so like in in Mark two, this is the famous uh, passage of of the four uh, the four friends bringing a paralytic to Jesus and and bring lowering him down through the roof. So, like I would, and I did this last night. As you can see, like I have these yellow arrows that showing my my notes that I took last night. But um, on here, like I might say, Jesus, the paralytic, scribes. What's a paralytic? Hey, hey, quiet, man. Quiet, quiet, quiet. Well, we've got a couple of comments that people are on their phones and tablets and can't see the text. So, Oh, no. I was wondering if you could maybe read the questions, but also they're wondering if oh, there's yeah. a way to enlarge the view okay. you have on your screen. So I don't think I can. Um, I don't think I can enlarge it, but I'll tell you what the questions are. Um, who are the people mentioned in the text? What are the places mentioned in the text? Right? So the people, I just listed some of them. Jesus, the paralytic, the scribes, the crowd, the four friends. Um, the places, so so they're in Capernaum. That would be the place. And that's, that's important because that's a place where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. Um, Mike, this is a professional show. I'm going to need to turn... Are you, do you like, do you double as a call screener? Is that why you have your, your um, headphones on like that? Oh, he, Mike is literally on the phone. I guess he can't talk. Okay. No, this is oh, to prevent feedback that you always complain oh. about is the headphones. Okay. I appreciate it. Um, so what actions, right? So, so what are action words that are going on? So the action that like the, the paralytic is being lowered down through the roof. Jesus is teaching. Um, there's healing. Jesus is accused by the scribes of blasphemy. Um, so there are a lot of actions going on here and then write down any unanswered questions, words you don't understand or, or items of particular interest. Like, man, don't put a timeline on how much time you have to spend reading the Bible. Like do it in a time where if you like maybe it takes you 20 minutes, but maybe you discover something in the text. You want to take an hour learning more about it. So like a perfect example, I remember the first time I ever read um, this text or a similar one, I wanted to know, man, who are the scribes? Like I didn't know who the scribes were. And so I naturally would like just ask that question, like go into detail of who the scribes were. Um, and also it's kind of weird. Um, Mike, how would you feel if somebody like, took off part of your roof to lower somebody down through it. Mike? Mike? 
I would be amazed that they were able to do it. Um, first of all, because it's a metal roof. Yeah. Um, but I would, I don't know. I'd also be kind of mad because they've ruined my roof. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of ways I could go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd be pretty ticked off, man. Like just knock at the front door, but they couldn't knock at the front door. Right. Like, right. They like couldn't these, get to it. They couldn't get to it because the house was so crowded because Jesus. And the thing is like, man, dude, we focus again. I'm, I'm kind of getting off track here, but I, I was just, I was understanding this as I was looking at the text last night on a, on a Monday after Easter. Right. And everybody's like, you know, there's all these conversations that we have in pastoral circles about the best way to preach and what the topic should be and blah, blah, blah. blah. And I just like read this text and said, no, 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 no. Jesus drew a crowd by preaching the forgiveness of sins. That's what the gospel is, man, is the redemption of mankind through the blood of Christ. And, and we don't need fancy, um, fancy lights and all this other stuff to attract people. You need to win people with the gospel of Christ and nothing else. Anyway, that part's for free. That's just, that's just free. And, and just um, a side comment, Mark, I will call you, but it will be from a number that looks kind of familiar. So you're expecting something different and at an inopportune time for you. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so the next part, man. Um, so at this point, doing a study, asking these questions, answering them. And some of them might not, you might not have, like for me, Depending on the text, I might not answer all these questions because there might not be an answer to them. They might not be present in the text. Um, so then going to the next part is this is where I like to get the context. Um, I know some people like they might consult the commentaries before they read the text or before they start jotting down all the stuff. This is what I like to do because I might go back. So I might look at the context and, and look at the different commentaries and background commentaries and go, oh, wait. Let me go back because I think I, I didn't answer this question um, where maybe somebody else noticed that this question needed to be asked and I might go back and, and ask it and answer it. So um, here, like this is, these are like the different types of commentaries they have. And um, you can see like I got, I got a butt tongue um, and, and some of the, what, what was it? Is, that, is that not a technical term? Are all these um, commentaries you purchased through Logos or that came with your your packet package? Uh, yes. So I've either purchased, like some of these, and like with anything, with anything you purchase, sometimes they give you stuff that's not that great. Um, but what I've discovered is like some of the stuff that I didn't think was good to begin with is actually pretty good. I just didn't really appreciate it at the time. So I go back and forth between buying stuff for Logos and buying um, you know, hard copies of, of things. So it really just depends on the circumstance. Yeah. I will often buy commentaries digitally because it's easier uh, kind of to incorporate it rather than having to type out a full quote or, mm -hmm. or this, that, or the other thing, my biggest yeah. number one complaint for Logos is most of the time the commentaries that they offer are full price. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and yes. so commentaries can get pricey. So I kind of wish they would pricey. allow you to import commentaries from other, from like Amazon Kindle or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. That would be a, a request I would have, but then where would yeah. they make their money? Is yeah. A oh, for sure, man. And, and the stuff can get expensive, but um, you can, they often have deals and sales and whatnot. Excuse me. And if you are enrolled um, in seminary, then you actually get a 30% discount, which is significant. 
Mm. So um, I'm thankfully like I just bought a few more resources because I was like, oh, wait, hey, I'm in seminary again. I get this discount. And so I wanted to make sure I, I got those. Um, and it makes it really easy for like when you're writing papers, mm. because now <laughs> I favor these resources over my hard copies because I don't have to format the footnotes or the bibliography. It automatically adds it. So, um, and if you're writing like as an author, or if you like to put footnotes in your sermon manuscript or anything like that, it's really good for it. But that's, that's, um, yeah, the, this right here, the, the, it says ZIBBC, that's the Zondervan, um, Zondervan Illustrated Bible Backgrounds Commentary. I highly recommend it if you can afford it. You might be able to find some copies, um, on like eBay or Amazon that are used, but they're really good. Shows pictures of stuff, um, which is always good. And then, so I also included like different events. So this is all part of the workflow that I created. Um, the biblical events, biblical people, biblical places, and then different biblical theologies, uh, biblical things. And the idea here. Um, and also cross references. So like you can go and see what does Matthew pick up on in this story um, with the paralytic that, that maybe Marco mints. So I really like the pictures because I'm a visual person. Uh, <laughs> if Luke were here, he'd be like, Oh, that's probably my kind of book is a picture book. So um, it just gives you a picture of like, Hey, here's what an this one right here is an ancient Israelite house, and I can like click it, and you can see it open up on the right side of my screen, and you get to I don't know, it's really cool. I don't know, is that just me? Is it just me that thinks that's cool, Mike? That is real swell. Okay, you don't think it's cool? It's no, okay. I th it's it's cool. What I found is sometimes it doesn't apply to. I like that they have that research, but yeah, options, but. The, the thing about Logos is it gives you oftentimes more than what you need. For sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it gives you way more than you need. And then sometimes, like, I really want something and can't find it, which really ticks me off. <laughs> <laughs> but I I do like, I do like, like, the biblical events. So it talks about, you know, like, right here, you can go and see the life of Jesus, and it'll bring up different things. Um, biblical people. So, so it points to like, so it answers some of the questions that you're already looking at. Right. So biblical people, the paralytic, um, in Galilee, the pair, a paralytic, just generally what a paralytic is. Um, yeah. So that's the, the next stage is you're trying to gain the context. Uh, you can see some of the visual things, see what some of the commentaries say about the historicity or the culture of that time. And so you can see here the cultural concepts. And I really like this. Like, listen, I don't have all the time in the world. I might not necessarily have the opportunity to do a deep dive into what blasphemy meant in the first century, but it'll tell you what it is here in just a few words. Um, it'll define what a scribe is. And you can go into more depth by like clicking law scribe and it brings up a fact book on the right. And you can go in far more depth as to, um, what a scribe, what a scribe's role was back in the first century Judaism and all that stuff. Um, yep. And then moving to meaning. So, so the first question, as you understand the, you've asked some good questions, made some good observations. You've, you've worked that together, but now you want to consider the meaning of the text. But Mike, we talked about this in the beginning to get the meaning of the text. We first have to get into the first century mindset, right? So 
the first question that I ask is, what is the main point of this passage to the original audience? Not to Mike, not to Eric, not to the person in my church, but what did it mean in the first century to the original audience intended by the original author? Is that the right question, you think? I think so. I mean, it, it, it uh, wraps up a lot in one question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I think that's the right question. You definitely okay. want to take all the research you've done and first apply it to the original hearers to make sure that you're taking into account the so the historical context, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's wise. So, yeah, that's good. Cool. Um then I ask, what are the differences between the original audience's context and our own? So, I mean, can you think about like what's different between a first century Jew and a 21st century Mike? Uh, nothing. We are no- pretty much identical with the exception of skin complexion. Okay. Oh, oh. Why do you have to go and bring race into that, Mike? I'm just saying I burn a lot more easily. Okay. Okay. All right. I can't handle the heat as well. (laughs) So there are a few things, right? So they are on the other side of the cross. So they are in an entirely different covenant. They're in um, the, the, uh, the old covenant. We're in a new covenant. So the reaction to this might be a little bit different. Um, They, they were anticipating uh, a savior Messiah who would overthrow the government. Um, we are anticipating uh, the Messiah to return and to establish his kingdom on earth in a very real and physical way. Um, they, their house, and we didn't answer this question earlier about the, the, the ceiling, but the ceiling of a house back then was often like palm branches. So it was actually pretty easy to remove and remove the roof. It wasn't quite like it would be if you or I. Um there are a number of things that we could start building this almost like a river. Like we're, and it's not that we're building a river. We're actually discovering the river of differences between their context and our context so that we can better understand the, how to apply the passage. Mm-hmm. So understanding their context and, and the point of, to the original audience, then I think it's important for us to start drawing biblical and theological principles um, that are discovered in the text. And then after that, we look to apply those principles today. So um, in the story of the paralytic in, in Mark 2, verses 1 through 12, you know, I think some of the theological principles and biblical principles that we see here is a strong Christology. Um, the, the amazement that is found by the scribes in Jesus's words um, to say the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven was by any measure blasphemous. If Jesus were not the son of God, if he were not God himself, God incarnate, and it stoked two reactions Um, one were calls for blasphemy and the other were worship people giving glory to God in the midst of Jesus's preaching and his, um, in his miraculous healing of the paralytic. So 
I think one of the theological principles that we can take from the first century to today is, I mean, the preaching of God's word and the work that we find God doing in the midst of our lives, the appropriate response is to glory in the Lord all the more. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Absolutely. I agree. Um, and isn't, yeah. I was just sorry. I got distracted because I was looking at because I couldn't see the whole before and after, and so I got distracted by a question that I had. So oh, okay. I, apolog- I apologize. It's okay. It's okay. Um, and then application, man. Um, so this is how I end the this workflow is. Um, how do these principles apply to you, your life, church, and community? So I think you know I'm not going to go into the details now, but I think you can easily apply. The, the biblical and theological principles found in this text uh, for the original audience and easily apply them probably in all four of those spheres. May, not with every text would you be able to do that, but you certainly could um, in many. And then what I think is, is important for us is to try to write down the main point and the application in our own words in one to three sentences. So I think when you can do that, you are going to be blessed mightily by your study of the word. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'll pull this down. Yeah. No, uh, could, actually, do you mind if I share screen share? Cause there's a couple of resources yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of do what you just did and it might come off of as a little academic, but I've always found them helpful uh, that I get received in seminary. Okay. And so let's see. All right. Any day now, Mike. (laughs) What's, um, as you're pulling that up, you know, one of the things I think is incredibly important for Bible study is what in the world did you just do, Mike? Oh, there we go. Okay. Whoa. This is okay. Is that better? Yeah. Much more good. So these two um, resources, Old Testament exegesis by Doug Stewart Mm -hmm. and uh, by uh, Gordon Fee, New Testament. Uh And, and they give examples through, but you can see like it guides you a guide to full exegesis, exegesis of the original text, structural analysis, yada, yada, yada. Let's click on structural analysis and it goes down, make sentence, uh, make a sentence flow. And so it talks about start with the subject, the predicate, objective, yada, yada, yada. And Stuart does the same thing. And I've always found that helpful. And one of the most helpful things that I found in, uh, um, before I, I have one more thing to show you, but okay. and especially this fees. is freaking me out. This screen right now is freaking me Isn't out. Isn't it really? Now I'm chirping. <laughs> um, but uh, Fee has a section of, you know, where he takes a couple Bible passages that are translated a certain way. And he, t- he reveals that often sometimes passages are um, decided upon by committee, how to mm-hmm. translate them. But they may not. But, and oftentimes committees have a hard time retranslating a very well-known passage of scripture. Uh, so, for example, the proverb that says, teach a child the way he should go and he will never depart. And he, when he is old, older, he will not depart from it. Mm-hmm. And he, he talks about that passage in his book. And he says, 
for an example in that he says the reality is the the translation should be train a child in his own way and he will not depart from it mm-hmm. basically saying if you let a child do his own thing and and raise himself and do his own thing then that's the way he's going to go mm-hmm. and we and he said the reason they don't like to change that up is because it takes it away from a promise to a warning mm-hmm. <laughs> well it's so challenging man and and i actually i had to write um you want me to put that up Mike? Yeah. Sorry. My computer did a weird thing. Um, And then I have one more thing. So this is what you sent to me. Okay. Because Eric tried to send me his morning Bible study flow that he just showed me. Um, And, uh, but Eric, I I have a a concern. I went and I clicked on your name up here, Eric Reynolds. Uh Uh-huh. What does it say? And then I clicked Uh, on it. Denomination affiliation, Southern Baptist convention. (laughs) <laughs> so, so sir will you will you please explain yourself <laughs> well does faith life have uh, an event christian denomination you can choose from i'm not sure they do i'm, I'm sure they have an other category <laughs> well uh, you know, when I think I first started <laughs> with uh, Logos, man, I was in the SBC and I just never changed it. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Do can I get forgiven? Can I be forgiven <laughs> for that? Yes. <laughs> I mean, dude, I can't believe we haven't <laughs> talked about the the Baptists beating the Catholics last night. Oh, in uh, uh, that was the like NCAA, uh, NCAA Gonzaga, and um, yeah. Baylor. Baylor, yeah. Yeah, which is yeah. which? Uh, Thomas Kitt, who is a great um, church historian, uh, is is a professor there at Baylor. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I saw someone on Twitter say, um, how, "Why would anyone, or why am I not surprised the Baptists would beat the Catholics in any sport that involved dunking?" <laughs> <laughs> well, see. <laughs> That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, man, I think, um, Hey, I would highly recommend if you're, if you're just learning how to do Bible studies. So, so we talk about, you mentioned fee and Stuart's book, uh, reading the Bible for all it's worth. Right. Is that, is that what it's called? I have it on my bookshelf. Yes. Yeah. That that would be Um, the place to start for me. This one's actually really good. Uh, it's really thick, grasping God's word. I used it in Bible college, and it's actually part of my uh, one of my classes now. And um, it's really good, grasping God's word. The, the I, I differ with them in their in their interpretation of the prophetic stuff. They're dispensationalists. They so they have a dispensationalist um, understanding of how to read the prophetic books. But aside from that, I think they laid down a really good foundation on how to study pretty much every other part of scripture except for the prophetic books. Um, and uh, so that would be one. And then the book I mentioned earlier that I, I just wrote a review, I might post it on ACV, is a, a critique. I critiqued um, re- misreading the scriptures in with Western eyes and it is so good, man. It really points to, if you've never lived in another culture, I have. So, so there are things that they said that I had forgotten about like how you misread things in different cultures based on 
because we're from a different culture. Um, I think they point some of those things out and do really well. They will hurt your feelings at times. Um, that They will point things out that you just, you thought, oh, wow, you're right. This isn't a biblical value. This is an American value. Now, that doesn't mean that the American value is bad. Um, it just means that we have cultural values that we just assume. And, and that can be different than what a biblical value is or even a first century Jewish value is. And that's okay. As long as your American values don't contradict biblical values, that's fine. So um, it's, it's, it's a really good book on how to um, approach the scriptures with, I think, more information than you would have otherwise. So, yeah. Yep, absolutely. I think that's right. That's wise. Cool. Anything else, Mike? No, um, but now um, my next question is, in our process of doing this, is mm-hmm. this going to turn into one of your next books? No. Okay. No. Why do you want it to? <laughs> I just, I just wonder. I was just wondering because if I, if I, if my, myself or Luke are part of this process, then we need some royalties, baby. <laughs> well. Uh, <laughs> Listen, if I had royalties to share, I would. <laughs> um, there's another book. like So if Gordon and Fee is actually like you look at the book and it seems more daunting uh, because of its thickness. There is a book by R.C. Sproul. Mm-hmm. I actually read a couple of months ago just to see if it would be something I'd give away. And it's called Knowing Scripture by mm-hmm. Sproul. And it's really good. Like, it doesn't get into the weeds as much as Gordon and Fee do, but he takes a very pastoral approach in teaching people how to read the Bible, um, gives you kind of the nuts and bolts, and allows you to fill in the rest. It's pretty good. Talk to me, Eric, because you, you talked about this book that you just – this Sproul book that you read a couple weeks ago. On average, how many books are you in outside of the Bible and out of outside of commentaries? Um, how many books a week are you reading? Like how 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 often and what times are your is your nose stuck in a book? Because I'm always uh, amazed by some of you guys who read a ton. I'm probably read a bit more than Luke, but definitely not as much as you. <laughs> um, and so I'm just interested, like, just for the the watching audience, like, are you like picking up a book whenever you can, like, or do you have a set schedule? Like, I'm going to spend 20 minutes reading and then move on to something else. What does reading look like to you? Yeah, so it depends. It's kind of ebbs and flows. Um, I a few years ago, so before I was when I was at Oak Hill. Um, because I was, you know, so that was my previous church. I was the associate pastor there, but I was only like my, I was only like a part-time pastor there. So I was only like maybe 20 hours a week. And then I was also doing seminary as well. And I want to say, I was probably reading two or three books out a week outside of, um, outside of my normal responsibilities, including seminary since being the senior pastor here, I would say there are weeks that I might read two books and then there are, then I might not read an entire book in a week or two. So it kind of ebbs and flows. I will say that at one time, like I have multiple books that I might just use as a reference. Like maybe I'll skip a chapter here, or skip a chapter there, or just read a few pages and realize, Oh, this chapter is not really worth my time as much. And I'll go to the next chapter. Um, 
But if I'm going to hand something to someone, I try to read the majority of it, at least 90% of it, if not, if not the whole thing. Um, Sproul was one of those. So um, at any one time, I could have, you know, anywhere between five to 10 books that I'm working on um, for a multitude of reasons. Like right now, I'm reading uh, Bobbing's Wonderful Works with of God, with, but I'm doing that with like a couple of other dudes in my church. I'm I'm reading um, my book um, Discover with a couple of of guys in in my church. So that's two books, I guess that that I'm reading at one time. Um, I, I mentioned that I, I was reading um, Maxwell's book on the trauma of doctrine, but I put that to us to the side cause it's so heavy. Um, I just don't have the time for it with seminary. Um, yeah, I probably got a couple other books that I'm reading that I don't from like they're on my bookshelf. I have a stack of like four or five books right next to my recliner at home. So do you, do you like have set apart in your, like, is your day scheduled? Like I'm going to start my office time with 20 minutes of reading or do you kind of just get to it when you can? I wish I was that um, uh, organized. I'm not. I kind of just like look at my list of to do and I try and knock stuff out and then get to my reading. So mm-hmm. it, it depends. But my I mean, I, I probably read on a on any single passage that I'm preaching on. I read somewhere between three and five commentaries on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And some of those commentaries might be for a certain verse or a certain word or a couple of verses. But I probably wrote read at least one or two commentaries on the whole passage. Um, so I do quite, I, I guess, I guess that's quite a bit of reading. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what to compare it to. So, right. Um, yeah. What about you? How much do you read? Uh, I read a lot more than I realize, but it's not from a book, which is a f- failure of mine. I get, I get sucked into blogs and snippets mm. more than, reading through. So I feel Mm -hmm. like I don't read a lot, but I'm actually reading a ton. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just not all cohesive, one long thought. And so I need to kind of get back on uh, on reading more consistently. What what are some blogs? What are some blogs you're following? Just just like um, Gospel Coalition um, stuff. Um, I can't remember Carl Truman's, what he uh, blogs on. Uh, some Reformation of his, uh, 21 or something like that's, that. Yeah. That something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Andrew Wilson out of the UK, um, uh-huh. his stuff, think theology or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. so some of those things, um, and then whatever might, if I do a quick scroll through Twitter, yeah. um, if somebody links some, some stuff on there, but yeah. Do you ever do audiobooks? If I were to spend more time in the car, I would, but I don't do a ton of driving and I can't listen and fo- like try to work on like a sermon or, or study or something at the same time. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time in the car because everything's like we're in the country. So like, you know, I'm going to Raleigh two or three times a week, uh, which is about depending on where I'm going around Raleigh it could be anywhere from 20 to 45 minutes. Mm. And then you know, people in my church, if I'm going to visit someone that could be anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes away. Mm-hmm. So I get plenty of time. I've been listening to reading while black by Esau Macaulay, which is really good. Um, just to hear kind of a, another perspective on, on um, the black tradition, um, Christian tradition, which is, you know, something I obviously know very little about mm-hmm. uh, what I'm not black and nor have <laughs> I ever regularly attended um, a black church. So it's, it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Reading, reading is important. And I think we, you know, we need to engage with people um, that are different than us so that we can, you know, I, I mentioned this, I think I tweeted about this last week is that like something that I learned from Herman Bavink um, through his biography is that it's incredibly important for us to do theology as we engage with not only the culture, but other disciplines, like other, other specialties. So, you know, as, as new things come in psychology or um, historic, you know, um, the field of history and medicine and all that, like engage in those things as practitioners of the word. Um, but we can, we can approach those things with a biblical background and, a, and you know, those, that set of lenses, and it can be very helpful. Um, I'm growing in my belief that we should do away with seminaries and the, theological education should be done in the university because, and that's how they do it. Like in, in a place that's far more liberal than us, which is the UK, that's where their seminaries are there. They are, t- they are, they do have a couple of seminaries, I believe, but most of their theological schools are done as part of religion departments and universities. And you have, so you have the, you know, these conservative reformed Christians that are engaging with Muslims and Armenians and Catholics and Anglicans, but also engaging with the other departments in the other schools um, of their university, which is so interesting to me. And I think Bob Inc. was right in that that's where our theology will be done best. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's it, man. We've lost all the, we've lost all. Washington. We have, they, they all, all got the, bored. They got bored. Do, they, do you think they got bored with, with our, with our talking about Bible study or talking about books or. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put on them my insecurities. Um, so I, I just think they, they got bored. So now that, so now that we've lost everybody, this is the perfect time for us. Have you followed um, the, the controversy over uh, what's her name? Uh, Rachel Hollis. Not, not closely, not the recent stuff. I'll, uh, Cause she's the girl, wash your face stuff, right? Yeah. 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 yeah or girl don't apologize or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Let but me, not, what's the recent, what's the recent um, hubbub? Hold on. hold on. Let me see if I can pull up the video on, on the tweeter and play it for everyone. It's, it's so bad. Um, so she's, you know, super, I think, I think she's super popular in like the superficial Christian world. Um, and like everybody calls it faux Christianity. And, and really, like, I saw somewhere else where someone called her a Christian author. I've not seen anything really from her that is Christian or, or uniquely Christian. It's mostly just self-help stuff. So, actually, just let me see if I can play this video. Um, let me see. Let me see if I am pull it up. And this will... But it's my concern is like when you have people in your church that are intaking some of this stuff, um, it really makes ministering to them difficult, I think, because they view their savior as themselves or this person instead of Christ. Um, Just trying to make sure I don't have. Okay, there we go. So let me see. I'm hoping this will play. Let me know if you can hear it Uh, once I start playing it. Nope. 
No. No sound. Oh man. Okay, my bad. Well, you can look it up. Um, but essentially, she. Could you scroll up so I can where? Where'd you find that video? Just uh, right here. I just searched Rachel Hollis on Twitter. Um, so (laughs) Rachel Hollis. Oh, you can't see it, right? No. You took it away. <laughs> My bad. Turn it away. So anyway, um, the headline: Rachel Hollis comparing herself to Harriet Tubman is wild. Um, for sure, she like she hashtags, uh, or she she does compare herself into the comments on TikTok to Harriet Tubman, RBG meaning Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Mary Curie, Oprah Winfrey, Amelia Earhart, a few people I don't know who they are, but all essentially women, um, like prominent women throughout history. And and says that she's trying to be unrelatable AF. And I will let you guys figure out what AF means. Um, I'm sure Mike knows because he's dirty. But um, yeah, man. So essentially like a, uh, a Twitter follower or TikTok follower or somewhere like that, like messaged her or commented and said, hey, you know, you are so unrelatable. What you're saying is unrelatable. And she said, or, and they said relatable AF. Like, that's the whole thing. And again, you figure out what AF means. That's not on me. That's on you. But, like, she she essentially says, yeah, of course I'm unrelatable. My whole life's goal is to be unrelatable. And, and says, like, yeah, I have a, a house cleaner. She cleans my – I have someone who cleans my toilets twice a week. And the way she comes across is, like, so condescending and was like, listen, you just have to work hard and you can have people clean your toilets too. And I thought, like – Dude, this is so jacked up, man. And and my dear friend Brenda points it out correctly. Progressive Christianity, and it's progressive Christianity um, at its worst. Not that there's much good to progressive Christianity, but um, this is this is really bad, man. And like, I I want to see her, and like she's going through a divorce, I believe. Um, and I had someone who really like who was part of my church at one time, you know, bring this up like, hey, you know, this person who I really look up to is going through a divorce. I'm not quite sure what to make out about it. And I thought like, man, I feel really bad whenever someone you look up to, even if they're not a good role model, whenever they have some kind of fall or some kind of personal um, issue come up, like it's disappointing. Uh, it's really, really disappointing. Um, so. I'm praying that, I mean, the Lord just brings to light that, that her need is Christ, her fans, her followers, their need is Christ. And it's not more self-help. Um, they need the forgiveness of sins, quite like what we discovered in Mark two, um, and the preaching of the forgiveness of sins and the apprehending of that in a pl- application of, of those, those truths. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I I'm interested by these things that happen in the Christian subculture. Um, and I know you are too, to a certain extent, Mike. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because, you know, so many, so many of our people um, are, are being persuaded by some of these people that they don't know are problematic. So I try to figure out how to best engage in a loving manner without pulling the Bob Newhart. Mm-hmm. Because Bob Newhart's really easy, right? Like it's really easy to just yell at people. Um, it's a lot harder to try to point out the errors of the Rachel Hollises and others in a way that you can't say, "Listen." Well, Rachel Hollis, Ra- Rachel Hollis, I find as well as like I wouldn't even say they're progressive, um, 
because they, I don't know. I think progressive is maybe a bit stronger of a word because they still kind of look Christian and I find Christian progressive Christianity, you know, whatever. Um, but I, 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 I wrestle with it because they're trying to have their, you end up being a, like a Rachel Hollis or even a, a Jen Hatmaker. And I know I need to be careful about what I, what I say here when you want your cake and to eat it too. Mm-hmm. Um, when you want to be a faithful Christian, but in order to be a faithful Christian and have the ministry you want to have, there are some hard things to say and teach within Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to kind of change your tune, not focus on those things or, you know, reinterpret what words mean in the Bible. Um, and that's, I and, and yeah, no, I guess that's where progressive would, would be a fitting term. Um, because I often think about that's not, you know, and then, and then when that happens and, you know, true blue Christianity and their people push back and maybe too aggressively, but they push back all of a sudden you get, Oh, you're attacking me. And then people are like, Oh, you're so brave for saying that blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, it's kind of like the whole like deconversion. I think gospel coalition wrote an article about a couple weeks ago that it's not brave to deconvert from your faith. Right. It's the popular, it's the popular thing to do. Uh, You know, uh, when you, when you deconvert, you're going the way of 90% of the world. (laughs) <laughs> what's brave with going with the 90% of the world? The only time it might be brave is if you're, and I use brave in air quotes because it's not brave when you're turning your back on a, a church and community that values you and loves you. That's where the bravery might come in. But I, I t- take like the story of Rhett and Link who have a popular, you know, uh, social media, YouTube presence. And they used to be Christians. They were even in what's in the Bible by Phil Vischer videos. Mm -hmm. And they worked for young life. And, and then they moved out to California and started to get more of a name. And they had a, a woman working with them. That's a lesbian and wonderful woman. And to hold what we hold about traditional marriage and have this really working relationship, you know, they had to make a decision you know, I think they could have uncomfortably still worked with this woman and loved her as Christians without sacrificing. But the reality is they chose, you know, the, that struggle isn't worth it. So we're going to just abandon everything. Mm-hmm. And so they chose the brave road of alienating their family and church community to gain the whole world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I've actually, as I've, um, the topic that you're just talking about, like de- deconverting and, and all that is actually something I want to explore in, you know, as I approach my uh, graduation from seminary, move on to a D-man is, is trying to work through how we can provide tools and equip people, um, especially youth and children, knowing that they're going to go to places that are going to be e- like the easy thing for them is going to be to deconvert. It's going to be celebrated if they go to college and they renounce the faith or, or move into a more progressive stream of Christianity, but provide them tools to when they get to the point of where they could deconvert is, is the tools to 
um, rebuild the faith. So I think like for me, I'm always in a process of trying to, um, I don't want not deconvert, but deconstruct, deconstruct, like what has been handed to me in the faith? Like what are the cultural assumptions that have been handed over to me? Um, that aren't necessarily biblical, but are just cultural mandates within the greater Christian subculture and assessing those, um, uh, assessing those cultural assumptions as either biblical or non-biblical. And if they're non-biblical, not saying that they're unbiblical, meaning like they go against scripture, but just saying like, Hey, this is something that you can take or leave choosing whether or not I want to take or leave it. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. So like one of those things is, and we've talked about this on, um, and I mentioned this in sermons and stuff like that is, you know, I remember other people telling me that, you know, Christians don't smoke, drink or chew or date girls who do. And then like trying to assess like, okay, are those cultural assumptions or those biblical assumptions? And I've come to the conclusion as I've kind of deconstructed what had been handed to me go, oh, that's, that's not, that's not biblical. There's no biblical mandate for those things. Now are those items that I want to ascend to or not? Um, And if I ascend to it, I'm going to show charity with others who don't. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. So I think it's important for us to help um, equip people with the tools to be able to make those decisions and assess their faith um, based on what the Bible teaches and, and then taking those cultural values and principles or virtues and saying, okay, are these, are these helpful to me or are they distracting me? And, and assessing them based on that in the Bible and then making a good choice as to what they're going to accept. Mm-hmm. So I don't think a lot of people are doing that. Uh, when you hear people go from decon- deconstruction to deconversion, then when these people ask the hard questions, which aren't really hard, it breaks my heart because they'll say, oh, I just couldn't reconcile this question. And I'll go, oh, well, that was actually really easy. That should have been taught like day four of Sunday school. <laughs> you know, like that's that's pretty simple. So I don't know, man. Yeah. These aren't easy questions because there's real people, real emotions, real difficult questions that need to be answered. And not all of us are ready even sometimes issues are real life and it, it doesn't so much come down to that's a difficult question to answer, but oftentimes the answer that is given is not satisfying to people. Mm-hmm. And so they'll be like, that's not a good enough answer. Um, and so it's in some cases it's a, it's a losing battle, but you still have to put up a fight. Yeah. But for sure. All right, man. Well, I think we've rambled on long enough. We've covered a whole great deal of good topics today. Yep. So well done, we sir. Think every, you know, well done to you as well. Hopefully we will have, hopefully I'll open up my email here in a moment and get something back from Paul, but um, hopefully we'll have a uh, special guest on next week and um, we'll see you next week then. God bless you guys. Except for Nathaniel.